you guys enjoyed our first episode. Uh, Dave and Lou back at you again with episode two. We are the Garage Gym PT podcast. Um, kind of leading into you know what we were talking about last time. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed our whys and why we wanted to bring all of this wonderful information to you, everyone, basically everyone. Um, got a lot of good uh, questions on what we were going to cover and uh, had a few people asking, how is this going to differ between, you know, what you guys do at the lab? And uh, I think this is going to be a, a good episode today. Dave and I are going to start diving into the uh, the strength and conditioning principles. Uh, this is going to kind of expand over a few episodes. Uh, we are going to try and kind of explain a few things for those of you who are maybe new to the strength conditioning world. Uh, and maybe those of you who just want to sit here, learn a little bit more. If you're in PT school, for those of you listening, you know who you are. Uh, but uh, what we're going to start off with today, guys, is Dave and I are going to talk about volume, the strength conditioning principle of volume. Uh, the standard definition for volume, if you were to go into like, you know, the NSCA's Essentials of Strength and Conditioning, uh, one of the, the definitions that they utilize for volume is the amount of work performed, right? So that's going to be the sets and repetitions of an exercise. Uh, they'll, they'll combine to make up your, your volume, if, if that makes sense. Uh, if you're a runner, it might be the distance that you're going to follow or you run over. Um, but then the combination of all of that in a week or in a month, that is your training volume. Um, now, Dave and I have a little bit of a different take on that, that standard definition, uh, where we're going to kind of give you guys a little bit more background into, you know, you don't always have just athletes. Sometimes, you know, you're a construction worker who's training in the gym, going to CrossFit, maybe you're a powerlifter, um, what have you. Uh, so Dave's going to give his, his little spiel on how volume to us is different in regards to what you would just read in the book. Yeah, so just like he said, Basically, volume is a mathematical equation. All the sets, reps, weights, et cetera, added up over the course of a training session, week, month progression. In this equation, it's an ideal world. And as we all know, we don't live in an ideal world or in a vacuum. So even though you're doing the equation correctly and you're just progressively adding volume, load, sets, reps, et cetera, you may not always get the desired response because you're also not accounting for the person, the client, the athlete's life stress. So when you look outside of the mathematical equation, you could also have somebody, let's say that they are trying to lose weight and their goal is to accumulate 10,000 steps a day in a caloric deficit. And they also present to you with lower back pain. This may affect this person's ability to recover back to baseline, depending on how frequently you are seeing them. And this may be a spot where you want to modulate your own exercise volume within the clinic to make it more effective to meet the person's needs. The other example that Lewis used here may be the construction worker, where you may have the less is better phenomenon. Um, and it's because they have this repetitive physical activity. And this may even lead you to like outside conversations that we'll discuss in the future about like sleep, nutrition, total recovery, et cetera. And then of course, I think we gave you two extremes on the quote unquote overuse side, but how about somebody who's coming from like a deconditioned background who you may only need two sets to make them sore 
and then send them into a recovery spiral for about 48 to 72 hours. So this minimum baseline looks very different for everybody. And it all does depend on the person's independent physiology, their place in life, their training age, their actual age, their life stressors, and of course, the training history. I agree with that. I know the, I think sometimes you can almost have like two extremes where like you have that person who's in the gym like two or three times in a day and they think more is better. And so like their volume could be like astronomical with what they do in a week. Um, but then you got that person who maybe gets to the gym like once or twice in a week and they're sitting at their desk. Um, I think training age is also a big thing, kind of like you already said, Dave. Uh, you could have that person who's been in the gym for, you know, five, six years and they're just not seeing any progressions. And then when you go to look at their training volume, maybe it's just not enough of a stimulus, not enough of uh, not enough to actually progress them. That's like they've been doing the same routine over and over and over again. Um, or maybe it's it's way too much and they're just constantly experiencing injuries. Um, I think that's a conversation, you know, as a physical therapist, you know, we have that conversation in regards to, you know, we can look at what you're doing and we can maybe see, is it enough? Is it not enough? Um, but then also on like the strength coach side of things, if you have that athlete who, you know, they're constantly in pain and they don't understand why, and they're doing all of their exercises, um, they're doing all of the, you know, the, the A, Bs and Cs in order to get things back to moving as, as it quote unquote should. But then when you ask them about their training and what they're doing, besides what they're doing with you, they tell you, oh, I'm going to the gym like two or three times a day. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe not a good way to go in terms of like progressing yourself back. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, I wanted to give you guys kind of like a visualization of this picture, a sponge, right? Whatever size you want, let's say maybe like your past training history dictates the size of your sponge or the size of your cup, whatever you want to put here. Um, at some point, you're going to reach a saturation or overflow point, and we're not really sure where that is. So consider like the water dumped in the cup or on the sponge, the actual training volume. Uh, that's a measurable amount. At some point, you're going you're gonna to fill the cup or you're going to saturate the sponge. So if this person's already doing two to three workouts a day, where does your exercise prescription go from here? Do you have to coach them down? These are all very important things to consider. Sometimes the adaption does not take place as an additive process, but a lot of times it is addition by subtraction. Um, if you go and look through like the guys at like the RP strength stuff, they do a great job of trying to define this. Mm -hmm. So there is a concept out there that's known as the minimum effective volume. This, in my opinion, is where you want to live for the vast majority of your training or rehab. So that way it, you, you can see a much better stepwise function for this person. So that's defined as the minimum amounts of volume that you would need to see a response. Mm -hmm. So in a perfect world, you have the stimulus, which causes stress. So that would be your training, your rehab, uh, et cetera. Then you will have a transient period where the person will get 
weaker or unfitter. So this would be where your response takes place along with recovery. And then by the time that you get to the other side of the bottom of that curve, you actually recover and get better. So this is also something that can be quicker or slower depending on the person. Mm -hmm. I believe traditional research supports that you can load somebody, assuming it's the same body part, every 48 to 72 hours. Mm -hmm. And also that does depend on the amount of volume that you throw on somebody. So like if you have someone who's like, let's say very, very young training age chronologically, uh, you, you probably won't be able to get a ton of volume relative to their ability to even recover. Um, so you might start off with more basic things. You also might not have them in the gym every single day. Uh, you might not have, if, if let's say you want to include running in that, you might not have them covering a vast amount of distance. Uh, I think when people, one of the biggest things in terms of volume when people have an injury is, is that they try to go back to that same amount of volume right after the injury because they think, okay, everything's good to go. I can go right back to the same things. And that's where you have to have like that, that conversation of, you know, you've been working on rehabbing, getting things back to where they were. And now you need to kind of gradually progress the volume back, or like you were saying, use that minimum effective volume that you can get that stimulus, but without going overboard, without overfilling the cup per se. Um, I, I, I've experienced that. I mean, following my, my pec tear, I, I tried to go back to the same amount of days of training. Um, just was not good. I, I felt sore almost all the time, almost like a, not almost beyond sore, which was ungood. Um, so I had to basically, you know, check my ego back off the training and I, I dropped down only two or three times a week. Um, but I, I modified how much training volume I had for a period of like two to three months. And then after that, I would kind of gradually progress that as I would go. Um, I think in terms of the way people would progress from rehab back into that, that, that higher volume, uh, it's not going to be like that one month period of time. Like, I, Dave, I don't know if I can speak for you, but I know, like, I, I've told people, you know, longevity of training and being able to, to, you know, tolerate and accumulate the volume is, it's almost like a rite of passage, where, like, if you don't want to do the due diligence, you don't want to take your, your, your concise time with going back into that high volume, it's almost like a, you're fighting against yourself. Yeah, it, it should definitely be a goal to achieve it. Um... It, and it really is where a lot of people miss the boat. Uh, like even from like day one, for some reason, physical therapists are telling people to do stuff every day, right? Mm -hmm. So this creates a huge barrier, not only physically, but mentally. And say this person is very new to the, whatever it is you're doing, right? Like if you're in rehab and you're doing it right, you're exposing people to things that they haven't done or seen before. So the first I even say like three to four weeks, it's, it's all the concept of learning the movement and having neurological gain period. So you're almost not even seeing like the benefit of increased volume unless you're performing something properly. So like even having like longer periods of time with this person to progress their volume as they get better at the actual movement, 
is kind of your rite of passage, right? So like even like the process of like learning something that's complex, like a squat or a deadlift or foot squat or any of these things that you want to extrapolate for the rehab, if they're foreign, you're not even going to get into the actual muscular benefits of it until about week six. Mm-hmm. So at some baseline level, they do have to earn it before they actually get the desired adaptions, period. Mm-hmm. And I think that you even like talked about another key piece there too was like DOMS, like the late onset muscle soreness. So if you're exceeding this recoverable volume and at like a microscopic level, you're actually causing more damage to the tissue than is recoverable. You can't stack the building blocks to actually increase the base. So if you look at like the base of the pyramid as the amount of volume that you can tolerate and you just keep knocking off these blocks, it's never going to get any higher. Pretty small pyramid. Exactly. (laughs) So that the the base volume um, dictates how high the pyramid can go in your Mm -hmm. tolerance of general exercise and sets, reps, et cetera, dictates how fast you're going to get back from an injury or surgery period. Yeah. I think in terms of like groups that might struggle with volume management, they will between like, like, you know, the different types of athletes that you've worked with. uh, And then I'll, I'll kind of weigh in on mine too. Who do you think has had like the hardest time CrossFit powerlifting, general sports performance, bodybuilding who do you think has like the hardest time in terms of volume management uh either coming back from an injury or just training in general uh and probably looking square at crossfit and triathletes Mm -hmm. um just from they have like conflicting methodologies meaning that they they touch on very similar body parts and movement patterns very frequently and depending on who your coach is, that does dictate uh, your likelihood of injury. So there's obviously a bunch of different pieces that go into this. Like, like we kind of touched on before, like, are we stressed? Are we considering nutrition? Are we considering basic sleep hydration? So mm-hmm. assuming that those pieces are actually met, those two things are sports. So we do have to view them in the lens of, they are competitive sports and the more that you push it, the more likely you are to get injured. Um, mm-hmm. it, but they can yield a very healthy response and they do a very good job of touching on various systems, especially CrossFit, meaning like aerobic, anaerobic power, um, you know, hypertrophy a little bit. Uh, but I, I do think that Powerlifting and bodybuilding do have very good principles of general recovery mm-hmm. relative to a sport like CrossFit or um, monostructural cardio work, just by nature of how repetitious it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're less likely to see breakdown with somebody who trains, you know four to five days a week versus somebody who's trying to bump that sixth to seventh day 
uh, et cetera. So it's, but it, but it does highly depend on your coach, your ability, your athletic background. Um, but yeah, sports is not a, if you're going to get injured, it's a when. And the smarter that you can do it over a longer period of time, the quicker your turnaround is going to be. Um, and we'll, we'll cover some of this stuff a lot more in depth uh, Mm -hmm. when we kind of go into like different training systems and that, but a lot of it is interdependent on the specific body part, the uh, types of repetition that you are doing. Um, is that even like the system that you're using? So it's just, there's a lot of, a lot of different pieces to touch on within this question, but volume management for people that are trying to increase their, their base in a wide variety of different activities is usually going to lend itself to injury one way or another. Yeah. You can almost think of like strength and conditioning and like like the principles that you utilize almost is like building tolerance and then your risk management. Uh, and if those, those principles, like the ones we're going to be talking about are not managed properly, you're almost doing yourself a disservice, depending on what your goal and your intent is of the training. Uh, sometimes less is more. Uh, and that can be hard to accept. <laughs> Cause sometimes people think get to the gym, get to the gym, get to the gym. Uh, one thing that I think would be good to discuss as well in regards to like volume and training. Um, periodization is going to be a big, a big play. And we'll, we'll dive into this a lot more too later on. Um, but just wanted to touch on it lightly here real quick is that with, with it, if you have someone who is writing your programming and they can explain that by the periodization, the, why the volume will fluctuate I absolutely love that strength coach. Uh, when you have like, like, for example, I, I won't mention what gym this is, um, but there's a, a particular CrossFit gym where their volume, even for new members is like high right out of the gate. And I'm like, okay, so you're taking someone who has never touched a barbell has maybe never run 400 meters in their life. And you're putting them in the class with everybody else. And you're having them trying to go with the same weights as the rest of the class. I think that's maybe a little bit too much too soon for volume, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, and then there's there's very smart places to increase volume uh, versus push it. So, I like you're saying, as as you peak, um, there are definitely ways to avoid injury, and if your coach is taking this into consideration. Uh, I would stay with them. So I'll give it a caveat and just kind of touch on this, but the conjugate system, assuming you're eating enough and sleeping enough, of course, does a very good job at keeping a a baseline volume very high. And they keep a constant stimulus on you so then that way, when you are peaking for a meet, you are less likely to get injured. So there's a traditional thought that like, as you peak towards a meet, um, that you are actually dropping your training volume 
And that may not be one of the smarter things to do, depending on the pieces that you're dropping. Mm-hmm. So when you're considering like main lifts where like you're more likely to get injured, right? So squat, bench, dead, clean, snatch, jerk, etc. Probably a good idea to reduce your volume there, but the supporting structures around it still need to stay supported with high volume so that you don't have mechanical breakdown and predispose yourself towards an injury or in essence, get detrained as you're peaking. Mm-hmm. Or there's like the abrupt increase. So in a way there is kind of a sink or swim mentality, mm-hmm. but where, where and how you pick this is very, very important, right? So maybe if you're starting to do deadlifts, okay, the, the volume that you want to increase is not necessarily the deadlift itself, but you want to pick something that's a lot simpler on the learning curve, like say a, a rack pull, and then you want to supplement it with things like GHG back extensions and reverse hypers to build up the, the structural integrity of your glutes, your back, your hamstrings in a way that it's going to make the deadlift a positive process, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. More breakdown. Exactly. So that's the wonderful thing about exercise is that if one movement may is maybe too complex or is too much of a stimulus, you always have an infinite amount of foot in the doors, really. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to start kind of, you know, hashing out these principles and then eventually kind of putting everything together. Um, but first thing, I think, you know, getting the volume down um, can be even just, I mean, if you want, want an example, go ask if, if you guys have friends in the gym or you look at the programming at, at your CrossFit gym for the week, add up how many reps that you would be doing or, or even the distance covered in that week, if you have access for the entire week of programming for that week, uh, and see how many repetitions you're, you're actually doing. Uh, we, we'll, we'll talk more about intensity and loading and pro- progression and stuff like that later, but look at how many reps and sets you're doing. And then look at the distance covered and then total that out for the week. And then look at how it's the next week and vice versa, um, just for practice that we can kind of get an idea of what that's going to be like. Yeah. Um, and even like another example that we can take a very basic structure. So we can both agree that four by eight and eight by four, both the same total amount of reps, but the way Mm -hmm. that you would structure that truly depends on what you're trying to seek for the adaption. Right. But Mm -hmm. It's 32 reps. So in the end, there's pluses and minuses to both. Um, you know, you may structure the eight by four to try to increase somebody's power output, whereas you would use the four by eight to try to increase somebody's muscular size or get a hypertrophy response, depending on how you're using it. Mm-hmm. So that also matters too. Um, whereas like, I think there's even like a recent podcast out there um, where the four by eight, you're less likely to be recovered because of the total time under tension. Whereas the eight by four, you can probably perform it more frequently because it doesn't have quite as much of a taxation on your system. So there are some mm-hmm. nuances to that too. So the number doesn't always dictate your recoverability. 
No, but we hope you guys enjoyed our our, our initial you know principle. We're talking about volume. Uh, if you guys have any questions on it, or if you guys are a little confused, uh, reach out. Dave and I can answer some questions for you. Uh, but we'll probably start getting into uh, different principles, making an episode for each one, and then we'll kind of hash out, see if you guys have any questions. Uh, but we hope you guys enjoyed today. We know we did. Uh, but we will see you guys next time.